the book of Nehemiah, the Israelites led out the land of Egypt where they were in slavery. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. They go into the promised land, Israel. They, for 400 years in the book of Judges, they're just in this state of confusion where it says throughout the book of Judges that for that 400-year period, they did whatever was right in their own eyes. Each man did whatever was right in his own eyes. And as a result, they were just constantly going into captivity from different enemies. But then the Lord um, raised up a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, where initially the king was Saul because the people had cried out for a king that looked like and acted like the king of the other nations. He was really handsome. He was really tall. He was very charismatic. And, he, and, and the Lord warned them, listen, if you want a king that looks like the king of other nations, I'm just telling you, I'll give you that person, but he's going to take your money from you. He's going to take your daughters from you. He's going to take, uh, he's gonna take, 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 take from you. And they said, we don't, it doesn't matter. We want a king. We want our own king. So he, he came in and... Uh, He taught them, the Lord used this man Saul to teach them what it's like when they chose a man like the kings of other nations. And indeed, he just used them, and he was a tyrant. But then the Lord uh, raised up a man after his own heart, King David. And David was the, the Jewish king who was the first king in the line of the Messiah who would eventually, it would be, um, um, his descendant would be Jesus Christ. And so for 400, 450 years, they, there was a kingdom in Israel where, uh, where Israel had sovereignty over their own land. And, uh, there were it, the, the king was the, the kingdom was split in two at one point in the in the in the south you could say they apostatized permanently they never had another good king uh, in, rather in the north and in the south they had good kings and bad kings but eventually they just spiraled downward um, to the point where their rebellion was so bad they were they were cast out of the land and the uh, enemy the, uh, the Babylonians came in and the um, they, they, destroyed his, they destroyed Jerusalem. They burned down the temple. In three successive times there, they, they dragged the best out of the city and they dragged them to, they dragged them away 900 miles away to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. The prophet Jeremiah, who was the last prophet there in um, Israel at the very end of the, um, at the, very end of the, uh, of the kingdom, and he was prophesying. He says, you guys are going to be toast. I'm in Jeremiah now, my own Bible study. Um, the Lord is going to uh, destroy the city, and uh, he's going to take you far away, but only for 70 years. And so he went for 70 years, and after 70 years, uh, they came back. And that's what the book before this, Nehemiah, was um, about the book of Ezra under a man named Zerubbabel and they built the temple up again. The temple had been complete rubble, completely ruined. And it got built back up. But a while after that, um, there was just a spiritual decline and uh, Ezra comes in, gives the word of God. There's like a revival of sorts, but then again, they fell into their, own, their, their, their pattern again of, of turning away from God. And this is where Nehemiah comes in, and he, um, uh, he comes and he comes into the city, and he begins to build the walls of Jerusalem so there is protection around the temple. It says in 
in, in Nehemiah chapter 1, when he first found out what was going on in Jerusalem, he, he was in the king's cabinet, King Artaxerxes, the king of the Persians. He was in his cabinet. cabinet. He, was his, uh, he was his wine uh, cupbearer. And when he found out what was going on in Jerusalem, it says he wept. And he wept and he wept and he wept. And then finally the king said, you know, what's wrong with you? He goes, my people are in a place of shame. So he comes back and, and he starts building this wall, but there's enemies all around. And really, chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6 of Nehemiah, we're in chapter 5 this evening, uh, chapter 5 and hopefully 6, are all about, this is an amazing study of how the devil fights you and fights the people of God. And so we were in chapter 4 um, last week. Again, remember in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians, it says, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers of darkness and uh, against the devil. And, and we're told, told in Ephesians 6 to uh, build ourselves up against the devil. We live in a spiritual world, world. There's a demonic realm, and he doesn't like what you're doing. <laughs> and so no better place in the Bible to learn the mechanisms of the devil, in my opinion, than Nehemiah 4, 5, and 6. I would say the New Testament equivalent is Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted. The good thing about Nehemiah, though, it's like, it's like specific situations that it, that, it, that it brought up. So for those who were here last week, oh, whoa, he's going to ask us questions? He doesn't usually do that. Well, yeah, yeah I am. I'm going to ask you questions. What were some of the devices of the devil after they started building these walls? Mocking, weariness, what, what'd you say, G gossip's this chapter, chapter five, chapter four, <laughs> wow, you, you read ahead, uh, what's another device of the enemy, actually it, it does come up, gossip does come up at the end of chapter four, but a anyone else, confusion, and I have one more. Uh, yeah, the insults, that's mocking, just part of mocking. What's that? Right, right, he causes people to fear. Um, uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, um, verse 12 says, So it was when the Jews who dwelt near the, them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, the enemy will be upon you. They say they're stirring up fear. And by the way, that was not true. It was not true. It was not going to happen. The enemy would not be upon them. The enemy would not um, uh, uh, defeat them. But um, as Jesus says in John chapter 8, he says in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says that the devil's native language is lying. And so the, uh, uh, sometimes the, the devil can put impressions on your mind and he doesn't need a human agent. Other time, through others, he will cause you to fear by stirring up fear within you. But, uh, and and I, I find it amazing that that never happened. So um, the, 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 one Jew was telling the other Jews, it doesn't matter what you do, the enemy is going to, He's going to be upon you. And, and so fear. So um, let, let's now continue in, in Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5, like, so kind of a, a new thing comes on here. It says, and there was a, a great outcry of the people and their wives against their Jewish brethren. So it could just say for my, our application, there was a, a great complaining of the people against their Christian brethren, Christian against Christian. Now some of you have heard me say this before, but a church can survive 
uncomfortable seats. They can survive bad coffee. They can survive so-so preaching. But a church is not going to survive division. Satan will just come in and crush like a freight train and destroy everything. And the saddest things I see is churches being destroyed by division. One of my closest friends, his church closed down during the pandemic because of just nonsense, lies going on inside the church and, 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 and Christians um, fighting w one another. And, and, and so it says there was a great outcry amongst the people. Remember, there's a wall being built. There's a work being done. Uh, uh, they're trying to build this wall um, because the enemies of, of the Jews were all around them. We saw last week, north, south, east, and west, they were all coming against them. In verse 2 it says, For there were those who said, We are sons and our daughters are many, therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. So apparently some of these, these Jews were hungry and they had become impoverished Right in the middle of this work of God that's going on, verse 3 said, and there were also some who said, we have mortgaged our lands and our vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. So it's, it's, this is, we learned for the first time, there's a shortage of food here. Some of the people had sold their houses and their possession in order to get money to buy food. It says there. It says, verse 3, we mortgage, meaning we sold our lands and vineyards that we might buy grain. Verse 4, and, th and there were also those who says, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our land and vineyards. So others were being taxed so high, um, it, it, and they had borrowed money, and, and, and they didn't have enough money to repay the money, so now their lands were at risk of being lost. Verse 5, yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children are as their children. Indeed, we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And so some of them were having to sell their own children into slavery to survive. It is not in our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and our vineyards. And so, these, this, by the way, this is, so this is Jews doing this to Jews. That's what's going on here. Jews doing this to Jews. And I mentioned this last week, when there's a, when there's a crisis that happens, the most carnal and the least spiritual, they all out of a sudden, they may have been able to fake it when times were doing well, but as soon as things get, get tough, these are the people that they begin to, to falter. They, they begin to take advantage of one another. And, in, and, and this time, um, you know, it just became evident that it was actually the people who were well off. You know, money, oftentimes wealth, can really cripple a person's spirituality because they're not crying out to Jesus every day because they're, they're, they're supported up, they're propped up by money. And so in, in this particular case, some of the wealthy people are taking advantage of the poor here. And so now there's division amongst the Jewish people at a time where their enemies, non-Jews, were, were t attacking. We saw this last week from the north, the south, the east, and the west. The worst possible time to have um, division. And, 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 and there was, during the pandemic, you know, I don't want to harp on this, but there were a number of churches all around the, the country that things got so divisive and closed down. Again, just at the very time where the unity was needed the most be, just because of, uh, of how difficult the time was, Satan just came in and stirred up, and usually, it, it, you know, it's always the weakest of the people. 
that, that he uses. And um, that is what is, is, is going on here. They're in a time of crisis because their enemies are coming from north, south, east, and west, and there's division. So verse 6 says, And I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. So Nehemiah is the governor. And notice how it says, After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and the rulers. Now that term in the Hebrew, serious thought, the word serious is, it's... Um, it's the word rain, R-E-I-G-N, R-E-I-G-N, and the word thought is the word for heart. So he reigned in his heart, meaning he, he, he didn't just immediately uh, go to these people. He, he had to settle down. I, I, I cannot overemphasize this point. When you're upset and you're angry, that's not the time to be opening up your mouth to whoever or whatever you're angry at. Parents, that means your kids. You somehow get to withdraw and, 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 and say, Lord, I'm not in a good place. You know, I find in those times, that's the hardest time to pray. Like when I'm really angry, there's not a single molecule that wants to pray. I don't want to pray. I want to, you know, get angry at someone. And, but, but so important. It says he reigned in his heart. This guy was a man of prayer. We've seen that in the first four chapters. He was, he, he, so he went, and I, we, I think it's, it's a safe conclusion. He prayed and got himself into a position that he would not misrepresent the Lord through his anger. So as he was angry. There is such a thing as righteous anger, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin, Ephesians 4. And by the way, usually when our, the anger is related to someone who has taken advantage of us, that's not righteous anger, like 99.9% .9 of the time. But when, it, when you see righteous anger, you're mad at what someone is doing to someone you love. So when you're getting mad at the, at the bank teller for shutting down the window at uh, 4.55 p.m., and you say, well, this is righteous anger. It's five minutes before I No, no, you're fleshing out. But, 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 but when you see others being taken advantage of because of some kind of injustice, you know, you... You're walking out after you just had your, you just got your cash from the bank, and then all of a sudden you see them at five minutes up shutting down, and all these people are upset. You know, that's other people's rights. Yes, that's righteous anger. So he's angry, and it says, that verse 7, after serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. So in Exodus 22, verse 25, we are told that in the Jewish law, says, if you lend money to any of my people who are poor, you may not charge them interest. And they had been doing that. They had been taking advantage of them. They had actually been uh, saying, oh, yeah, you owe me money, so, yeah, sell me your, sell me your kids, and, 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 uh, and you'll be okay. They, they were doing these kind of things to their own brethren. And he says, I called a great assembly against them. And, and you know, I, 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 it's, it's so important to, to understand here that this is such a lesson in leadership because he's coming against, it says, the nobles and the rulers. And he is defending the poor is what he is doing here. And he is, um, uh, because there's such a temptation, there's such a temptation uh, really to, to favor the powerful, 
favor the rich and 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 this is such a nehemiah is such a good lesson in leadership because he's refusing to do that and he says he calls an assembly against them meaning like assembly of people uh, of representatives from the people to hear to hear uh, evidence against these rich people you know taking advantage of taking advantage of their brethren. And so, you know, I, I have something in my, my prayer journal, and, and, and I pray it, I try to pray it at least once a week, that I should pastor, I need to pastor by faith and not by fear. And, you know, sometimes when you have to correct someone and you know that they're a person of influence, or maybe they're a person who um, is well off. By the way, I don't know what anyone gives in this church. It's, it's uh, uh, the senior pastor of our church is not allowed to know what anyone gets. But if a person's well off, or they have some, someone, uh, some kind of um, some influence, just being willing to, to confront them and he calls a whole assembly. He's not intimidated that they're rulers. He's not intimidated um, that they're nobles. And in verse 8, it says, I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they, they were silenced and found nothing to say. So what he is saying is, is look, you know, the Jewish people were exiled to places all over the world, including Babylon. And, and God has redeemed them. He's brought them back. And now you're going to send them right back into slavery? That's what you're going to do? You're going to do that. He says, we, um, they were redeemed and you're just going to sell them back like this? In verse 9 he says, Then I said, What you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? So they, they don't care that the, the nations around them are looking and saying, oh, look, those Christians, they're doing the exact same thing everyone else is doing. They're getting in the pulpit, and they're trying to squeeze money out of the people every week. Um, they're being hypocrites. Uh, you, you know, the leadership is just sleeping with women or something, just like the world does, or um, they, they, they are just controlling people. They're just, they, or, or they're, in, they, they're in divisive battles with one another. They, they don't look anything different than the world. That's what he's saying. He says, don't you fear that the, the, the nations are looking at us and saying, look, these people, they're not God's people. They're just like anybody else. Verse 10, I, I also with my brethren and my servants am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. So Nehemiah is saying, you know, he's saying, I'm doing, I'm lending them money, I'm, and, and I'm not charging them interest. They're poor. They need, and, and, and so he's leading by example here. And so, you know, so often... Times the Lord has reminded me. You want a church of prayer? You better be praying, Steve. You want a church that um, evangelizes and, and, and shares their faith? Well, then you better be doing it too. That's what real leadership is. You want a church that serves? You better be serving people. And so he's saying, listen, this is what I've done. Are you not going to do it too? Verse 11, restore now to them, even this day, their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, also a hundreds of the money and the grain, the new wine and the oil that you have charged them. And so he's saying, take it all back, give them the interest back, 
In verse 12, it says, they said, we will restore it. We will require nothing from them. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and required an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. This guy, he is, he's a tough dude. Remember at the beginning, the first time in Nehemiah, we were just talking about men who weep. And, and you know, from time to time, someone will actually boast to me, I never weep. And really? And you're admitting that? Like, you're, you're actually boasting about that? I mean, Jesus wept, and Nehemiah wept, and before this book is out, we're going to see him ripping people's beards out. I mean, this guy is a serious man. So, you know, you're, you're, you're actually boasting that you don't weep. And here he just takes on almost single-handedly the rulers. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I encourage my kids. Sometimes you'll be in class or wherever. Um, most of them are out of school. But, but it's, it's going to be you against everyone else. But you've you got to do it. You've got to look like a fool in front of everyone from time to time. Or you've got to take a stand. You know, we were in last Sunday morning. A yeah, very difficult uh, subject. I, 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 that, you know, loving those in the LGBT community. Number one, we need to love them in such a way that we're not sentencing them to hell, basically, judging them, condemning them. But number two, we have to love them in such a way that we don't affirm what they're doing. But, and, and, and so, you know, if, if you're in an environment, where everyone's affirming, you've got to step up and say something. Crying out to the Lord under your breath, God help, God help me because this is not easy. And, and we're going to see Nehemiah, we're going to see Nehemiah do that. He said, uh, so he, got, he, he gets an oath out of them. He says, then I shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus may be, he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. Then the people did according to the promise. So they, make an, they made an oath to the Lord. And they actually fulfilled it. To their credit, they fulfilled it. They repented. I tell you, the most beautiful thing in the world is, is when you confront someone and they repent. <laughs> you know, every time that I confront someone, I, 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 I'm hating it. I absolutely, completely hate it. But I got to tell you, when someone says you're right, I'm wrong, I was totally wrong, and, and sometimes I'll even begin to weep. My heart just rejoices. And so you got to give them credit. They did some real bad stuff, but they repented. When you're confronted by a brother or a sister, I, I, I know my first reaction oftentimes is my heart gets stirred up and I get um, defensive and all kinds of stuff just... Keep your mouth shut and bring it before the Lord. And ask the Lord to take you to that place of humility. One of my f favorite Bogotsky devotionals, Bogotsky is my favorite devotional writers. Somewhere in the month of December, he, says, he said, listen, anytime you get rebuked for anything, even if it's completely false, rejoice because you're capable of it. I just love that. That's why I read Bogotsky. It's just such, see, it's just so challenging. It's, and, and, and so to their credit, they repented. But I will say this just before we move on. I, you know, to me, the devil uses people in the body of Christ more than, way more than the world in order to do effectively attack you, other Christians. Just without a doubt. It's not even close. Just the... Uh, uh, and, and, and I'm always reminded of John chapter 17 where Jesus is praying to the Father right before he's crucified and we have the actual words of his prayer and, and the dominant theme is that Christians would get along with each other. Now if it was easy, 
he never would have told us that. It, he, if it was easy, you notice how he said, Lord, make sure they don't go and lick a cactus. He doesn't do that, because no one's ever going to lick a cactus. He, he, he's praying that we would all get along. And I, by the way, I thank God for the unity that we've had in our church for so, so many years. So this, is, by the way, is not at all an issue. We have wonderful unity in our church. I'm very thankful for it, but it could all change tomorrow. And what are you going to do? Jesus says, and, and uh, he's praying to the Father, he says, Lord, I pray, this is verse 21 of John 17, that they, meaning you, us in this room, Calvary Chapel in the city, and the body of Christ, I pray that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, and then it says, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And then he repeats it in verse 23. Father, I pray they would be unified so that the world will know that you sent me. So somehow, when an unbeliever comes into Calvary Chapel in the city and sees unity, they believe the Father sent the Son. Now don't, don't ask me to explain that. That's, I have no idea why that, but Jesus said it twice, and I got to tell you, you know, that, that, that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we pray at Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m. prayer, a lot, Lord, if an unbeliever comes into this place, may it be like that unbeliever that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12, they fall on their face and they say, surely God is in this place. And one of the things that they see is what? Unity. Because out in the world, everyone's bickering. And so almost every single week, I get pulled into conflict amongst Christians. And, 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 and it's okay. Because we're a hospital for sinners. We're not a museum of saints. But I always say, when there's conflict, I said, in the world, when there's conflict, everyone scatters. In the body of Christ... People come together and they figure things out. And if there's going to be unity, there's going to, it's going to be a cost. And the cost is on you. Because what I've noticed about, uh, what I've noticed about the whole subject, subject of Christian unity is when you preach on it, everyone's like, oh, oh, yeah, you're right, warm and fuzzy. Until someone lies about them. Or in, uh, until a leader wrongs them. Or, or, or something like this, and then all of a sudden it's like, what? Unity? Forget that. I want justice. Well, I'm glad that God didn't choose justice for you, because if he did, you'd be in hell for all eternity. So you need to, <laughs> you need to accept the fact that um, you know, the Lord uh, died for us in order for us to be one so we can mirror that oneness between Jesus and the Father, but also that the world would look at us and know that we are one. So Nehemiah. I really want to get to chapter 6 because i got to tell you, I love chapter 6. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I do have to work my way through kind of quickly. Um, in order to, uh, Otherwise, I, I think the last time we went Genesis to uh, Malachi, it took 13 years. And, and I don't want it to take 26 years. I'll, I'll be dead by then anyway. Maybe not, but um, uh, <laughs> we have to sort of go at a pace. So I want to try to, um, to, mo to, to move along here. So verse 14 says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. So what he's saying here is I had an income from the king. I had an income from the king. But I personally refused to eat it. I, I helped others out with it. You know, some of the guys and I are currently now reading a book, and, uh, and it's about... It's called the divine conspiracy. And one of the things this guy brings up is just what people do with the Sermon on the Mount is they make laws of all things. And one of the things they make laws of is when you do a charitable deed, they don't tell any, you know, 
don't go and trumpet it. Just go into, uh, you know, do it in secret. Let your, not, your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And they create a law, and so no one ever gets to find out about a certain thing that you did. This never was intended by Jesus. It's totally a heart thing. If you are going out and you're doing a charitable deed, a good thing, in order to get praise, and I certainly have sinned like that in the past, and we do that, we shouldn't do that. But that's, he doesn't teach that you never share something that you did that was good. Right here, I, I'm glad, aren't you, that Nehemiah actually t- uh, shares the fact that what he did? It says, I never used the income for myself. I gave it all away. And there is a time. I, 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 I so appreciate early on in my Christian life hearing people's testimony about tithing. It was so encouraging it's like, wow, this person, they've been faithful to the Lord with their giving. And, 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 and it encouraged me to do it. Or at other times, well, God, I'm not the only person doing it. And so, but it, it, you know, it, it depends upon where our heart is. We need to be very careful because we get that pride. We have a lust for human recognition. We just got to be careful. But it doesn't mean we never do it. He's saying uh, and, then he, and then in verse um, 15 it says, but the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. And, and listen, you may say this guy's boasting. Like no one ever did that before me. But this is written by the Spirit of God. And we need to know. This guy had the courage to do the right thing. So yes, be careful before you run around and start telling people about some good thing that you did. But listen, people, if, if you've had victory in the, by the Lord in some area of your life, more likely than not, at some point, it needs to be shared to encourage people. So the governors before him, they were just living, you know, they were living off... Uh, they were taking advantage of the people, and, or, or at a minimum, they weren't taking care of them. Verse 16, indeed, I also continued the work on this wall, and we did not buy any land. All my servants were gathered there for work. So even his own personal servants, his, his staff, he put them to work too. Building the house of God. Verse 17, in my table were 150 Jews and rulers, besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared daily was, was one ox, six um, choice sheep, also fowl were prepared for me, and once every day an abundance of all kinds of wine. Yet in spite of this, I did not demand the governor's provisions because the bondage of the, on this people was great. So he had 150 people to dinner every day. Now he was a wealthy man. He, was, he, worked, for King Ar- he worked for the emperor of the entire world, and he was on the inner cabinet. I mean, this guy had some money. But he was being liberal with it. There's a proverb that I like that says, in, it's the King James Version. It's, it's not talking about the political liberal, <laughs> but it says, it says, the liberal soul will be made fat. Oh, I love that. Of course, it's been butchered by all the modern translations, but uh, it, what it means is that the person who just freely gives will just be blessed tremendously. And uh, uh, and this guy, um, this guy, uh, he was, he's telling us this for you and me as an example. What if we had no examples in the entire Bible of someone who gave freely? That's like not a good thing, right? So it's great that he is offering, he's a very, he is a humble man. And then he goes, verse 19, remember me, my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. You know, there's people who read this, I have a problem with him saying that. <laughs> He's like, God, give me a reward for all these things that I do. In fact, the book ends like that. The very, uh, I think the very last verse, remember me, oh my God, for, for, for good. Nothing wrong. Your heart can be in the right place. Getting before the Lord and saying, look, this has been hard, Lord. So I ask for your blessing. I ask for your blessing. It is not wrong to ask God to bless you. He's your father. 
Did you go up to your father or your mother and say, bless me with a good Christmas present? Was that wrong? Is it wrong for your kids to do that? Well, how much more will your heavenly father bless you? If you being evil give good gifts to um, yours, nothing to your kids, and that's what Jesus says. That's a quote from Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with what he is saying there, and he's just being transparent, and I love that. I love that about Calvary Chapel. I just, you know, when I first walked into a Calvary Chapel, there's, I, I, I saw a lot of transparency amongst the pastors, and, 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 and I've certainly heard it in other denominations as well, but it, it, I, I loved learning that at, at Calvary Chapel. So chapter 6. Ah, I like this chapter. So this building is going on furiously, and now he's going to start talking about other just mechanisms of the devil to try to defeat you, to try to defeat you personally, or to, to try to defeat your ministry, or to try to defeat your, your family, or to try to defeat the church. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors or the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. So I've heard so many jokes about, from preachers about, oh no, I'm, I'll spare you of, uh, of any joke about that. But, but um, it says, come out to oh no, but they thought to do me harm. So here's another device of the devil. It's a, a false offer of peace. A distraction. A pastor surge in Haiti who, um, we were going back and forth on WhatsApp today, Definitely one of my best friends in the world, and we've been working together for over 15 years, and <laughs> this is his broken record. So has anyone figured out, what do you say now when there's no records? It's broken what, file? It's, you, can't, you just can't duplicate it. There's nothing, I, there's nothing you can say anymore? Okay, um, well, back in my day, we used to say broken record, but I hate to sound, uh, uh, he, uh, or, or, no, no, he was like a broken record, meaning he said it over and over again as, as the church was starting there and also the church here, we have to be careful of distractions. We have to be careful where the enemy is just coming in and it, something looks good, but wait, we're doing a great work, we're doing what the Lord wants us to do, but then we get diverted off the path because he'll give you a million of them. And a lot of them will look good. What's the enemy of the best? Good. The enemy of the best is good. So if you haven't heard that expression, um, that should be a timeless, like broken record, that's done. But the worst enemy of the best is good, meaning like good things will draw you away from the best thing. So your time in the morning or your time at some point in the day that you put off, you, you put for God, that's the best thing. Don't let any good thing draw you away from that thing. Even if it's helping someone, even if it's some ministry or some this or some that, no, not, you, you protect that and don't let anyone mess with it. I'm not saying they'll never be a reason to be called away. If someone's saying, I, I got to go to the hospital because I'm dying, you leave your Bible and you take them to the hospital. But um, here's there's an offer of peace and it's like, okay, well, you know, they're offering me peace here. They're saying, come, verse 2, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But it says, but they thought to do me harm. Verse 3, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am, not, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? So he didn't, he's, he's refusing 
to be distracted. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Sometimes it takes a number of years usually to, to discover what your calling is in life. It's a wonderful thing to realize what your calling is and say, I'm not going to be distracted from this. And, and I'm telling you, it is like fighting a war sometime just to not be pulled away into this distraction or that. But it's so important that we be focused. It's just so important. That for me, um, you know, I spend a lot of time in, in, in prayer. And, and sometimes just getting out of the house and going to pray is like a war. Because there's so many things coming at me every day. And, 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 and I, I, get to, I get to remember the most important thing, what my calling is, what the most important thing is, is to get out and pray. It's, 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 it's God's pleasure for you to show up and pray to him. And, and so you're going to have distractions um, with that. By the way, it doesn't always have to be in, in the morning. The Bible does um, say that for many, uh, that's the best time I find for myself that my mind is freshest in the morning, but my wife um, does it later on in the day. But he, he goes to them, he says, listen, I'm doing a great work. You know, once you find out what your calling is and, and, and when, once you find out and you have a peace about, about what God wants you to do, it's a great work. It may not be in front of people. It may be totally obscure, but it's a great work. Now, I, I, I think yeah, I, I was sharing with Stephanie just on Sundays um, the intensity of the ministry on, that happens on Sunday, especially on a Sunday like last Sunday where I'm, you know, I'm on this talk, topic that's just, just over-the-top intense, it, it's, 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 it's staggering. But there's people at our church who none of you even know what they're doing. And they're doing a great work. They're behind the scenes doing whatever. They're, 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 they're putting up a sign you know, out in front of the church or they're, they're, they're in nursery or they're you know, in back of uh, somewhere doing translation or they're counting money. It's a great work. He says, he says in verse 3, so I sent my messengers to them. I'm doing a great work. I know there's many of you in this room. You're doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. The devil is persistent. Don't think the devil is just going to, like, knock on your door once. Are you crazy? That's not how the devil works. It's not how he works. I'm for um, my Bible memory. I'm uh, for the scripture memory, which it's like five weeks from now. And please consider doing that. It'll it'll just really clean your mind out. You talk about Drano. Tell you with the word of God, it'll clean your mind out. This talks about, and I've just been thinking about this over and over again because I keep memorizing these verses, so I keep keep reading them. You we made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So he's working in the sense of, of disobedience, but Ephesians, later on in Ephesians says he's also working against the people of God. And Paul says what? Pray at all times. Why? Because the devil's persistent. He's not kind of just like give up after one time. It says he, they, 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 four times they came and gave me this message. And, and I'm sure, by the way, there's, there was flattery involved. There's flattery and money. You know, come and, you know, I have a fancy dinner for you. And, and if he got there, I'm sure they would have had an expensive gift for him. T 
today I was just sharing with, just out on the street with a couple people. They saw, I'm wearing that, that my God Jesus shirt. And uh, a couple people, you know, they said, oh, that's really cool. And I said, I said, um, can I ask you, is Jesus part of your life or is he all of your life? And they said, he's all of my life. Praise the Lord. Praise God. When Jesus is all of your life, when Jesus is all of your life, you're going to know when the devil, the difference between the devil and the truth. You're going to be hearing from him. Verse 5, Then Samballot sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, an open letter. So this one is read in the presence of all the people. Verse 6, it says, It was written, It is reported among the nations in Geshem, um, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, That you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be king. And you have also proclaimed prophets to proclaim you concerning at Jerusalem, saying, There's now a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king, so come, therefore, and let us consult together. Now this is an incredibly serious accusation. There is a king, an emperor, his name is Artaxerxes, and when it is reported to that king that, hey, you're a rebel and you're trying to make yourself um, a, a, a king, guess how long your head is going to remain on your body? Like, it's, you just start, the clock is ticking. You're going to get your head chopped off. It's a serious accusation. And this is an open letter. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, You are of your father the devil. And he said, And the devil, when he speaks lies, he speaks his native language. And, you know, it, you, you may not have an accusation that serious against you, but if you're doing the work of the Lord, um, eventually you will have lies being told against you. I've had lies told against you, some of them very serious, and it's, it's like, wow, this is surreal. You've got to be kidding me. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And I think it says, blessed are you when they say all kinds of evil against you. I remember there was a certain time where some things were being said against me, and I tell you, the stupidest thing that you can do is go try to run around and try to protect your reputation sometime. You just have to trust the Lord. And, and you know, he, he, he could have gone around to everyone and, 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 and tried to, uh, you know, try to say, do, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Instead, it says in verse 8, he said, then I sent to them saying, no such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your heart. So nothing that you're saying is being done. You invent them, verse 9, for, for they were all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will, will be weakened in the work and will not be done. And then he says, now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. He's, he's scared now. I mean, if this gets to the king and the king believes it, he's dead. And I remember so this time that I just wanted to share with you this, this, this one time where I was, man, there were some things being said against me, and it, it was just really, really difficult um, for me. And I was walking, actually, I happened to be away. I was in Miami. I was walking on the Miami beach. It was late at night. And um, I was praying, and I thought of 2 Corinthians 12, Verse 9, very well-known verse. God says to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And i got to tell you, 
I think the weakest when I feel is when I know stuff is being said about me that's not true and there's nothing I can do about it. But I just, and, and I told the Lord, I am so weak, there's nothing I can do about this. And the Lord just, and, and the Lord brought this verse to my mind. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Listen, does he clear up the, tru- the, the lie? Yes, he says, that's not true. But then he just leaves that, and he just continues his work. But also, verse 9, at the end of verse 9, he prays to the Lord, therefore, O God, strengthen my hand. So important to go to the Lord. When someone is, is um, telling lies about you. Then it says, Afterward I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehatabal, who was a secret informer. They said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And so he is being asked to go inside the temple when he is not a priest. But don't worry about God's law. Go into the temple. They're trying to kill you. And then underline this verse. Circle it 20 times. He said, should such a man as I flee? And I, and, and I, 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 really, want you, I really want this verse to just sink in. The next time you are being tempted, whatever it is, it's tempted to fear, tempted to lust, sexually tempted to a lie. Should such a woman as I, should such a man as I do that? The Bible says you were chosen by the living God. You were set apart to be blameless before him in love, Ephesians 1 says. Should such a man as I, should such a woman as I do this thing that I'm being tempted to do? Me? It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful verse there. Should such a man as I flee? You know, in Ephesians, wow, we're really running out of time. But, but in Ephesians chapter 6, it says that one of the, the breastplate of righteousness is one of the pieces of armor that you put on to war against the devil. And it is so important not to live a life of sin. Not to live a life of sin so that you're able to say, I'm not talking about unintentional sin or sin that comes into your thoughts or you, you, you mess up and you ask God for forgiveness. I mean, holding on to sin, putting on the breastplate of righteousness is so important because there's going to come a time where you're going to have to tell the devil, should such a person as I sin? Should such a person as I do what you're telling me to do? And you don't want the devil coming back and saying, I know the kind of person you are. Look at the sin that you won't let go of in your life. You don't want to be like that. You want to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Of course, the other piece of that verse, the breastplate of righteousness, is understanding that because of the blood of Jesus, you are righteous. But it kind of has, it's a double-sided breastplate. And I tell you, there's something strong about walking and purity and holiness. You're, You're able to tell the devil, should such a man as I, should such a woman as I do what you're telling me to do? So I love that verse. And who is there such as I who would go into the temple and save his life? I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to break the law of God to save my own life. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. So they were trying to get him to sin so they could tell everyone, look, Nehemiah is a sinner. 
Jesus says to, said to the disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. If you're not in prayer, you're going to be lured away into stupid, foolish nonsense. And he was not lured away into that. Verse 14, my God, remember Tobiah and Sabaoth. So here's the prayer. According to these, the, these works and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. <laughs> and I want to end right there because we're out of time. Hey, uh, can someone go get Matt Harris? Can you get Matt Harris? Nadia, can you come up? Can we close with a worship song? So we're going to close with a worship song. And we're going to worship for, we like to close the services either with prayer or with worship. And as you're just, as we're preparing now, you can, you can come on up. Uh, Nadia, as we're preparing now, Matt's going to come. We're stealing Matt from uh, fr from the kids now, and uh, he's going to come up here. I was thinking maybe you had a a song that we all know that you can do. Yeah, okay. So if you could just stand at this time, we're going to worship. We're going to worship the Lord um, just with a closing worship song. And just thanking the Lord that there is a way that he has provided for you and me where we can say, should such a man as me, should such a woman as I do what you're telling me to do? That's the plan that God has for every single one of you. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1 that the Lord has provided you with all things you need for life and godliness. And, 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 and just, well, why don't we worship the Lord? Because worship itself is a powerful thing. It's a powerful tool against the, against the devil, just praising the Lord. Just, just, but, but thanking the Lord with, with praise in your heart that he has given you everything you need to be able to say, should such a man, such a woman as I do what you're telling me to do, just for the glory of the Lord. That's what Lord wants to be glorified in our lives. So let's, let's end the, uh, let's close the night just worshiping, worshiping the Lord now. Father, I just pray that you bless this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> John, I don't know if we have the lyrics, but we're going to sing Promises.
Lord, we just go before you, Lord, just praising you. Keep that song in our heart this week, Lord, that your promises will always be there for us, Lord. Help us to, to worship you, to glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.